What's going on, man? Welcome back to the basement. I'm Ron, and we've been drafting every single day on the channel since the Hall of Fame game. We've been doing a lot of BPMs and a lot of high-stakes redraft managed leagues, and a question I get all the time is, Ron, you know, stacking is cool in best ball and these underdog tournaments, but why the hell would I be stacking in my home league? And I still think that you should be not only just stacking on underdog in these best ball contests, but I think in your redraft managed home leagues, you should be stacking. Now, for this video, we're going to go through what stacking is, the pros and cons of stacking, how I'm implementing it in home leagues, and why you should be carrying over these best ball principles into your home league to increase your win rate, dominate your friends, all of the above. So with all that being said, we're going to dive into the strategy, all of that today. So make sure you go down below, subscribe, and leave a like. Let's go. Now, what is a stack, right? Let's just from the simplest spot, break it down the entire thing. A stack is when you pair your quarterback with a league mate. It can be running back, wide receiver, tight end, though ideally it's a pass catcher. Ideally, it's wide receiver or tight end. So let's just kind of look back at last year at some of the best stacks that there were to pick from just to sort of get examples of what a stack looks like and first up we have a pretty classic stack here which was Patrick Mahomes to Travis Kelsey now you'll notice in home leagues I'm really only going for the quarterback to teammate stack like I'm not trying to pair like Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle or Travis Kelsey and a Sky Moore in home leagues like that's that's more for best ball in home leagues it's very much more QB centric now, when we sort of measure the impact of what Mahomes had uh, when paired with Travis Kelsey, his playoff rate on best ball or on underdog that we're seeing through best ball win rates. Now, again, this is best ball. We're going to dive into more home league centric stuff in a bit, but this is just using playoff advance rate. Playoff advance rate in underdog is the top two out of 12 teams over weeks one through 14. So the top two teams from a league of 12 Weeks 1 through 14 in scoring. So do you finish in the top two in your 12-person league just in points four? That's not some, like, crazy upside tournament scenario. That's just within your little league of 12, weeks 1 through 14. And you have a chance, right? Top two out of 12, so two divided by 12 is 16.7%. And last year, teams with Patrick Mahomes advanced 30% of the time. That's about double your expected advance rate. Now, the wild part is, is that 30% goes down to 27.8% on teams where Mahomes is not stacked with Kelsey. So when Mahomes isn't, you know, when Kelsey isn't added with Mahomes, then your win rate there, your advance rate there is 27.8%. But when you add in Kelsey, it goes all the way up to 41.3%. So that's like a 14% jump. Again, remember, you're only expected 16.7%. So you're almost jumping an entire, like, expected win rate or expected advance rate from stacking Kelsey there, right? So again, without Kelsey, 27.8%. With Kelsey, 41.3%, which is pretty crazy. And essentially what stacking is doing is when you get one player who's really good and is like a league winner and you stack him to a teammate, the benefit from that league winner or that league winning season in that breakout gets compounded. Now, another one we'll look at Again, you can you compare wide receiver, uh, tight end to your quarterback. You can do running back, but wide receiver and tight end, definitely more ideal. Here we have two wide receiver pass catchers with Jalen Hurts. You can stack two pass catchers with your quarterback, but that's about where I would max it out. But last year we can see this stack of the Eagles passing game 
went absolutely insane. Now, Jalen Hurts had an uh, advance rate of about 33.8%. Without Devonta Smith or A.J. Brown, that goes down about 4% to 29.9%. But the crazy part is, is that with Devonta Smith, it goes up to 36.2%. With A.J. Brown, it goes up to 43.2%. So that's a 10% increase on just Jalen Hurts' base playoff rate. And then with all three of them, Again, your implied advance rate is 16.7%. If you had Jalen Hurts, Devonta Smith, and A.J. Brown, that went up to 51.2%. So again, this is all just within your singular 12-person league, not some like crazy outlandish outcome. And on top of that, if you're not really big on these like playoff advance rates, even just the average points, like Jalen Hurts without his pass catchers, 1,599 on average, the points uh, without either 1,585. So that's like 15 points less. And when you have both of them, you go from 1,599 points to stacking both of them to 1,655. So that's like a 56-point increase by stacking those teammates. Now, the idea, right, and the theory behind uh, stacking in best ball or stacking in your home league, stacking in general, really, and why it juices these advance rates is twofold. One being weekly ceiling and another being season-long correlation. Now, when we break down weekly ceiling, we want that compounding impact of your quarterback, right? So if, if Jalen Hurts in a given game in your lineup throws a touchdown, A.J. Brown also scores a touchdown. So that's just one singular touchdown counting twice. Whereas if you had Jalen Hurts and say you had somebody else in that range instead of Devonta Smith and you had a Deontay Johnson, right? Those are two different game environments, different game outcomes, and they're not correlated together. But when you get them in sync, you can have, again, less touchdowns in a game spread out across your players and count just as much as they would uh, in any other scenario. So you can kind of double up there where an Eagles touchdown is now worth twice as much for you, uh, which is huge. Now, this is actually a cool little table that uh, Hayden Winks put together. He did a cool article on kind of Spike Weeks matching up with QBs, and he found the highest point games from last year uh, among the Bills. And we can see here, I put in different colors, kind of the different stacks with Josh Allen, but in week two, Stephon Diggs went off. So did Josh Allen, right? Stephon Diggs, 38.8 half PPR points. Josh Allen, 29.7. You go down one to Gabe Davis in week five. Gabe Davis had 30. Josh Allen had 36.2. If you go to week 15, Josh Allen had 35.9 points. Dawson Knox had 18.8. Uh, you can go to week one. Josh Allen had 33 points. Stephon Diggs had 22.2. So you can just see across the board, when Josh Allen has these monstrous spike weeks, he's bringing somebody else with him. And if you can have that guy on your team, then a big Josh Allen game becomes a big Josh Allen to pass catcher game. And those touchdowns that Josh Allen is throwing are now counting double for your team. And it really puts you over the top. Now, here's the thing that a lot of people are going to say, but Ron, what happens when the Bills suck or they play the Patriots in the winter and it's like a, a 12 to 9 game and... They suck, and I lose. I don't want this boom-bust team. I want consistency. And here's really the thing about consistency in fantasy football. The entire thing is overrated. Consistency in fantasy football, overrated. One, it's not consistent year-to-year. Year. We had two years ago, Tyler Lockett was like the biggest boom-bust player of all time. Last year, Tyler Lockett was super consistent. Year-to-year, year, that's not sticky on a player basis. But then also within your team. And Adam Harstad, he's a, a really good writer for football guys, He's sort of brought up this idea before, and it's really interesting. Fantasy football matchups head-to-head -head, are not really close games. Like, you just remember the games where you lose by, like, 0.4 on a Monday night, and it carries that extra heartbreak. And I promise, I've felt that heartbreak many times over where it sucks. It's like, man, if I just didn't have a bust from this first-round pick or, or a bust from these two players, I would have won that game. 
I want to have that high floor so I'm not in this spot anymore. And it's just not how fantasy football works. I actually went to my home league, and I looked through my 2022 matchups last year. 84, right? So 12 teams, six matchups a week, weeks 1 through 14, 84. And I looked at every single matchup from weeks 1 through 14, 12 teams. Uh, and my home league is as follows. It's on ESPN. It's half PPR. Uh, one quarterback, two running backs, two wide receiver, a tight end, two flex kicker and defense, which I think is pretty standard across the board. Like I think that that's what you guys are probably using. Uh, like That's a pretty popular setup for a home league. And over this sample of 84 matchups, the average margin of victory was 27.4 half PPR points. Of those 84 matchups, only five were decided by five or fewer points, and only 15 were decided by 10 or fewer points. And you can see by this chart here, 17.9% of the matchups were decided by under 10 points, 82.1% of the matchups were decided by over 10 points, and 50% of the matchups were won by 25 or more points. So most of the time in fantasy football, these head-to-head matchups are blowouts, right? 25-plus points per game means you could have given the losing team in those matchups a free 24.2-point-per-game Josh Allen, and they still would have lost. It's a lopsided game in head-to-head. So with that in mind, consistency, high floor, it's way overrated on a weekly ceiling basis where, again, the average margin of victory is 274 in my home league and I imagine if you look back at your box scores in your home league it's going to be very similar spike weeks are the key to winning head-to-head fantasy football leagues where it's boom bust across the board it's really just about embracing that when you stack your quarterback with pass catchers you're just lining up so like you only have so many spike weeks from your QB right like you only have let's say like Josh Allen has like seven 25 plus point per game games you want to make sure that all of those spike weeks match up with a really good pass catcher, either in your flex, wide receiver, tight end. And again, it can be running back as well. Now, the other idea is season-long correlation, right? Where in addition to weekly ceiling, the whole idea behind stacking in a home league is season-long correlation, where if you're, if you're picking a player early, you're making a bet on that offense. And if you pick a pass catcher, you already made a bet on that offense. So now you have two bets that are correlated. And before we really dive into that, Jacob Sanderson has a cool article where he's always doing these like funny metaphors and I give him shit about it from time to time. Uh, But I really like this one where he said this is a uh, so he's talking about minimizing your assumptions with stacking here. And he said there is a misconception about stacking that it's about increasing the total ceiling of your lineup. In fact, it is about minimizing the number of correct assumptions one has to make to realize their ceiling. Today, we make the concept crystal clear with some inspiration from Robert Frost. He said you are tasked with arriving at a destination within 10 minutes to which two roads diverge. Road A is marked by four sets of lights each of which has a 50% chance of turning green and red upon your arrival. The light will remain the color it turns for two minutes. The distance between each light requires two minutes of travel time. Road B has the same four set of lights, but rather than turning at random, the lights are synchronized such that if you reach the first light while it is green, all subsequent lights will be green thereafter. Of course, you would choose path B. The fastest possible time to reach your destination is still eight minutes, but the odds of reaching under 10 are much better with the correlated set of lights. And that's kind of how you look at your players. He then says you can, you can paint a picture of all your players individually hitting their ceilings or bet on an offense collectively hitting their ceiling such that it boosts the expected value of all players within it. So that's what he's pretty much saying is that you can bet on an offense when you draft players early. Instead of needing you know four different sets of lights to turn green, you can now make that just one set of lights by betting on the pass catchers and the quarterback within an offense or you know three sets of lights. 
And I, I think like a good example of this is like, let's say you take Stefan Diggs, right? You take Stefan Diggs in the first round. You are betting on the Bills passing game to be good. Stefan Diggs and Josh Allen have correlated outcomes in a given season. If Josh Allen gets hurt or he has a down year, Stefan Diggs likely does not pay off as a first round pick. So as soon as you press the button and you make Stefan Diggs your first round pick, you are betting on the Bills passing game and you might as well take Josh Allen. Now, I'm not saying you should reach on Josh Allen and you must draft Josh Allen every time that you take a Stephon Diggs, but if you come around in the third round and Josh Allen is there, or if you're debating between Josh Allen and Jalen Hurts, absolutely, in a home league, you should be giving the tiebreaker to the stack and taking Josh Allen. Now, you know, Mahomes is a great bet. And, you know, again, if you're thinking between like Mahomes and Josh Allen, you already have Stephon Diggs. The pick has to be Josh Allen because even though Mahomes is great, you already took that bet on Stephon Diggs. When you take digs and you add josh allen you're just flipping one coin will the bills passing offense be good when you take digs and then mahomes you're flipping two coins will the bills passing offense be good will the chiefs passing offense be good and then from there you go from one bet versus now like a parlay of two bets and that's why stacking over an entire season is so important when you take that player early you're betting on that offense it's almost inconvenient to not then take that quarterback as well somewhere along the way now, people are going to say, but Ron, I don't want to put all my eggs in one basket. I don't want to have too many of the same players from one team. And the issue is that putting your eggs in one basket and taking on risks and being uncomfortable, that's just the nature of fantasy. If you spread your bets too thin because you want consistency and high floor, you're just going to finish as a, like a fringe playoff team. First place gets the only meaningful prize money in a fantasy football league. And I don't think that people really understand how low of a percentage chance it is to win in a fantasy football league. It is one divided by 12. I know it's like very simple math, this chart here, but it, I think a pie chart is a nice thing to look at. It's a very small sliver of this pie that you win your fantasy league. So you should be shooting for upside, right? You have to finish in the 92nd percentile of your league in a 12 person league. And a 92nd percentile is still really high percentile. Like when you win a fantasy championship in a 12 man league, your team needs to be good. So you need to swing for upside. I'd rather... Unless if you have like a wonky last place bet in your league. And even then, I think I think I could be fine finishing like 11th or 10th and just like set my lineup and be more on top of things than the next guy. I'd rather finish top three or bottom three every year versus finishing like somewhere in the middle every year. I, I would hate to be that guy. I'm shooting for maximum upside. And I also think that one thing that's worth mentioning as well is when you take a QB early, you're already betting on him and his passing offense. Now, this really just uh, pertains to like the elite quarterbacks. But when you take one early, you're betting on that offense regardless. Like, this is Kyler Murray from last year. You spent a top five, top six round pick on Kyler Murray. And if he busts, your team's already going to be in rough shape, right? Kyler Murray had a 12.9% advance rate, which is, again, 16.7% is the base rate, so about 4% under. And if you stacked DeAndre Hopkins, it actually boosted your advance rate. And DeAndre Hopkins wasn't even that good last year. And if you didn't have DeAndre Hopkins your advance rate was just 12.6%. So it's like, it wasn't much worse than just having Kyler Murray. Like it was worse than stacking with the pass catcher. So even in the event where it's like Kyler Murray, so pretty much what I'm saying is that when you draft Kyler Murray and he sucks, I know some people are like, okay, well, what if Kyler Murray is not good? I don't want to have to take his pass catcher and then the pass catcher sucks as well. Well, here's the issue. If Kyler Murray sucks, it's going to sink your team either way. And most of the time you're not going to draft you're like league winning wide receiver there. Again, the playoff percentage with Kyler Murray and then without DeAndre Hopkins is actually less than if you stacked him with DeAndre Hopkins. And again, that stack wasn't even really that good, but at least they were sort of syncing up on a weekly basis, Hopkins and Kyler Murray. So pretty much what I'm trying to say 
is like hedging your bets in a way doesn't really help you a ton if you invested early draft capital in a quarterback and he busts. Now, let's talk about applying this to 2023 and using it in your home leagues. Now, these are my stacking guidelines. I think if you're new to stacking or if you want to try it out in your league, maybe take a screenshot of this. But stacking definition, again, pairing your quarterback with a wide receiver, tight end, or running back, preferably wide receiver or tight end. Do not exceed more than two teammates stacked to your quarterback. So quarterback and two wide receivers, quarterback, tight end, wide receiver. That's about the max I'll go. Two players plus your QB. Do not reach to complete a stack. There's no reason to take a player and then like reach on a court. Like that's not, it's really just meant to be a tiebreaker within tiers. Uh, ideally also your quarterback is stacked to one to two quarter, uh, one to two teammates in a managed league. Like just in a vacuum, if I have a managed league, I would like my quarterback to be stacked to somebody, but it's not an absolute must. It's just like, I would like that to be the case. And then the earlier I take a QB, the more likely I'm willing to make a stack to that quarterback. Because again, if you draft Josh Allen in the first three rounds, you're betting big on that passing offense. So at that point, you might as well make other bets on that passing offense later in the draft as well. Now, I wanted to show two examples before I get out of here uh, from high stakes redraft managed leagues I've already done. And I think that they just kind of show like how I go about stacking. Like in this one, it's a six point passing TD league. Uh, and what is this? One, two, three, four. The fifth round, I take Justin Herbert. And then I don't do anything too crazy. I, I just take Quentin Johnson in the eighth round later on to stack to him, right? Like, I didn't force it. I didn't reach anywhere. But it's just like, okay, it, it's in the eighth round. I have my choice between, like, Quentin Johnson, Rashad Bateman, some other players. I might as well just take Quentin Johnson because three rounds earlier, I already made a bet on that Chargers offense. And kind of the same thing here. But this time, I take the wide receiver first. Uh, I go Mike Williams, or no, not Mike Williams. I go Calvin Ridley in the fourth round, and then I come around in the sixth round, and I see Trevor Lawrence there, and I say, you know what? I'll take a onesie in Trevor Lawrence and complete that stack. So it's not like reaching. It's not doing anything too crazy. It's just when the opportunity presents itself, it's something you should do because, again, it helps you out weekly ceiling-wise, and we learned that in fantasy football, head-to-head leagues, matchups are usually blowouts. And then we also just want to correlate our season-long bets to get the least amount of things correct for our fantasy team to do well so i hope that all of you guys got something from that it's just uh, almost a psa i wanted to put out there because i get that question all the time where it's like ron stacking is good for best ball and everything but i think you're a little bit wild for saying you should do it in home leagues i 100 think you should do it in home leagues and i will say as well if you have a home league coming up we do have a fresh top 200 uh rankings cheat sheet available on patreon patreon.com slash ron stewart i have like a checkoff list i have my ideal rounds for, to draft each player it's the sheet I'm bringing into every single draft of me this summer. On top of that, you get my weekly waiver wire article where I tell you who to pick up off waivers and how much fab to spend on players. You get my weekly ranking, so who to start sit, and then a exclusive start sit stream every Sunday. You get uh, access to subscriber leagues. You get rest of season rankings. You get it all. It's all beautiful. It's all there. Patreon.com slash Ron Stewart. But as always, if you can't support there, likes, subscribes, and comments go a long, long way. I'm going to hit the end record button and then hop right on stream again. I'm streaming every single day until kickoff. So make sure you check those out as well. I should be better about scheduling them, but I'm going to be streaming literally every single day. So with all that being said, I will see you guys in the next one.